This is 91.3 KBCS Music and Ideas. I'm Yuko Kodama. The Seattle Asian American Film Festival, or SAF, kicked off last night. SAF has a special one-night-only Saturday screening of a local gung-fu drama comedy film directed by Bao Tran. Tran spoke with me yesterday about his film, The Paper Tigers. So tell me a little bit about what The Paper Tigers is about. Yeah, The Paper Tigers is, I guess you would call it an action comedy dramedy uh, about these three washed up kung fu fighters who once uh, trained together when they're in their younger years and they were very close knit, uh, but things happen and they go their separate ways. Uh, and then they find out that their master is killed and that brings them back together and that leads them on a path to find out what happened. But uh, they have to avenge their master eventually, but uh, they have jobs, they have wives, they have kids. And so it's kind of a, a fish out of water. Uh, you know, what would happen if Bruce Lee was in a middle-aged crisis uh, type of story, the way we kind of look at it. Here are a couple of clips from the film, The Paper Tigers. Dad. Yeah, buddy. Do you know any Kung Fu? First of all, it's called Kung Fu. That's how we say it in Chinese. But no, I don't. Why? I saw pictures. Where? In the garage. There's a bunch of pictures. All right, all right, you got me. That was a very, very, very long time ago. Who was the old guy? The old guy? That was our teacher. We called him Sifu. You know what that means? Uh-uh. Si means master. Fu means father. We gotta take our Gong Fu back. Dude knows the death touch, man. Not even Sifu could even stop him. But at least Sifu tried. Ooh, I got a kid that needs me, alive. Give me a break, man. You ain't winning no Father of the Year awards. Is this all filmed in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, our whole filmmaking team uh, between me, uh, producers, uh, Yuji Okamoto, who's an actor and restaurateur, as you know, owner of Kona Kitchen, and uh, our team are all local here. So we're all kind of hometown kids uh, trying to bring the film here and, and filmmaking scene and elevate the filmmaking scene and put a spotlight on it because there's just so much talent here. And also kind of showcase the story and highlight the history uh, of Seattle in a way with martial arts. So it's such a deep and rich history for a lot of our team who, who studied and, and practiced uh, martial arts growing up here in the Pacific Northwest. So um, rich history, Bruce Lee, you know, being his, this being kind of his first home digs when he first comes to America and he spent, you know, a great part of his formative years and met his wife here. Um, so the, a lot of those things are kind of like things that we wanted to kind of uh, showcase uh, in an homage way, not in an overt way, but in a kind of uh, in a way to pay tribute to this, this rich history here. What role did martial arts play for you growing up here in this region? Yeah, so I mean, you know, that's, that's a big question. I'll unpack that. Uh, so I think, first of all, of course, you know, mentioning Bruce Lee uh, having such a big shadow over the history of martial arts here, especially with all the students who we had trained, you know, continue to teach and, and their grand students and continue to open their own schools. So well, the whole lineage of Bruce Lee here is, is just uh, flourishing. And uh, beyond that, you know, all those, uh, a lot of other martial arts that were here, especially with the historical, the long-term uh, history of, of Chinese and Japanese and Filipino immigrants living and working here. So that, br that brought a lot of martial arts here first and anywhere else compared to many other cities 
we lose a lot of shine uh, to California and New York, obviously with bigger communities and martial arts, the bigger meccas, if you will. But Seattle has a, a great rich history and a lot of people who choose to stay here and teach here and can continue to kind of practice here intentionally. So so it's it's just a, a really rich history in that regard. So that's kind of like where we where I come in in terms of like learning those martial arts especially in Chinatown and uh, the, the classic old schools that are down there like McFly Kung Fu Club. And for all of us, you know, we kind of trade into that from my upbringing and my generation, kind of, I would say the, the 90s generation is that our classmates were multi-racial, you know, multi-generational as well. And we all like had a common love of Kung Fu, the sport and martial art. And yet we all are here, you know, uh, coming to learn this uh, in a common space together. That kind of like speaks to the rich history that Bruce had when he started here. Because when he started teaching, he was teaching uh, many races, uh, much to the chagrin of his Kung Fu elders. And so uh, he, he broke a, a lot of ground in that regard and uh, opened a lot of doors. So if, but for Bruce Lee, you know, we, we wouldn't be around and have this rich history to draw from. People talk a lot about Bruce Lee, but about his time in Seattle, but not as much of the stories of um, how that impacts the culture of the people growing up in Seattle um, comes out of it. And I have a question about you growing up in it and how important this martial arts is for this, this community, maybe also for Asian males, you know, growing up in this region, which is predominantly white as well. So did that have a part to play in, in your choice of, you know, going into martial arts? Yeah. I mean, wow. I mean, again, there's this, I, you can't understate how influential martial arts has been for me here and especially Seattle martial arts has been for me and also, you know, our team, because in a lot of ways, it kind of informs us, like you say, of where we are as uh, me specifically as an Asian male and trying to come up in this world and, and make space and, and, and find, find some type of room to get through this world. Because a lot of uh, our teachers or our elders, um, you know, like I said, back to Bruce Lee, uh, who had learned under Bruce Lee were, were changed. In a dramatic way. So, I mean, I'll just draw uh, Taki Kimura, for example, who's uh, one of Bruce's uh, old original students, but uh, Taki was uh, a Japanese internment uh, survivor. And basically, when he met Bruce, he was kind of a dejected man. He was kind of a broken man by the time, just, uh, just morally, and he's just broken down from the experience. And Bruce hears this, like, you know, very virile. Uh, athletic martial arts uh, teacher inspired him to kind of like take pride in himself and take pride in in, in what um, he can cultivate in himself with martial arts. So, you know, it goes beyond just, you know, kicking and punching because it gave him a self-identity and a purpose. Um, so that trickles down to us to seeing uh, the influence that it has on our elders uh, as Asian males who have been downtrodden for us. You know, it's not new. We've all been downtrodden, but they found a path and we continue to find that path. Uh, as their students or as their kind of like uh, torchbearers, if you will. Um, so in that sense, you know, being Asian men and, and, and navigating the martial arts world, you know, it's macho. Yeah, it's, it does have kind of those uh, very uh, macho vibes and streaks. But in a lot of ways, it also was a way to kind of give us an identity, you know, uh, growing up in, like you say, predominantly white male culture. Also, as a immigrant, a Vietnamese American immigrant, it also kind of gives you some type of connection to, um, you know, the homeland or the home continent, if you will, you know, in terms of uh, just from that as a cultural perspective. And also, you know, with Bruce Lee having 
passed away quite a while back, you know, are, are we talking about the pro the post Bruce Lee um, generation here, how his uh, presence is really felt. And because, you know, I'm assuming you're um, the, the post Bruce Lee generation. How do you see that? We do have a complicated um, growing up with under Bruce Lee's shadow in the sense that, yes, he is this great model of Asian American males and kind of like that we can um, stand up for ourselves and that we can basically take no bull from anyone else, right? But on the flip side, you know, I can probably, you can probably pinpoint every Asian American male uh, having some story of growing up and being teased of like, hey, Bruce Lee, you know, and all that type of stuff and, or getting picked on because the bullies think they know martial arts and they, they, you know, they just, you know, get bullied. Um, so, and they don't, right. So not all Asian Americans know martial arts, like newsflash. <laughs> so, so, um, so that, that tends to happen where now a lot of people have a resentment about Bruce Lee, because then, you know, if that's the only image of an Asian American male and if they don't live up to what Bruce was, then are they Asian American? Are they living up to that identity? So that, that becomes this whole, like, you know, thing that we all kind of deal with it. And even in our own experience, when we were trying to pitch this film and, and produce this film, and basically raise money. Um, there's been this whole movement, as you know, with uh, Crazy Rich Asians and The Farewell and Searching and all these uh, films that are kind of portraying Asian Americans in a different light and not just martial arts and non-martial arts roles. Whereas for the last 30, 40 years, you know, Asian Americans on screen, you've seen them mostly as, as gangsters or thugs or Kung Fu henchmen or, you know, on martial arts, very martial arts related type of roles and associations, right? Um, so then now there's a whole movement of uh, fellow filmmakers kind of trying to push push the boundaries and definitions of what uh, Asian American stories can be. But here we are, we're kind of making a Kung Fu throwback and homage. And, you know, uh, we did get pushback from other Asian Americans of being like, well, why are you telling a story? Because now you're like putting our people back. So so you kind of get that. But um, then we're like, but we like Kung Fu. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to say? We like we like it. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we hope to kind of get, come to a point where we don't have to necessarily um, represent, you know, that rep sweats uh, thing of where we just have this burden of, of being that perfect portrayal of what Asian Americans are. And then we can kind of embrace us in all our experiences. You know, we can, we can have the farewell, but we can also have the paper tigers because it kind of like fills out the whole um, experience for all of us. You know, when you got that pushback, like, you know, as you were going out there and and people are like, you know, martial arts film, come on, you know, uh, that's that's two dimensional or whatever they say, you know, you know, that must have made you really have to sink in and get with yourself and and, you know, what are we doing here? And, you know, no, this is this is what we want to do. It's it is uh, it's it's a thing. It is a vibe that, um, you know, people have, but they, they intentionally, there's a lot of actors, for example, intentionally do not train martial arts because when they want to go out for the role, they don't want, they don't want to be up for the martial arts henchmen. They want to go for the Robert De Niro roles or in, in, in all, you know, kind of the, the roles that white men, you know, usually are up for, right? Um, so that's kind of like an intentional choice and I respect that and it's all good. But, uh, you know, there's, there's also kind of a sense where it's like, you know, I, you know, to me, that's, that's the rising tide lifts all boats. You know, I think if you're doing your thing, uh, we're doing our thing over here and we're all supportive of each other. I think that's all good. 
Um, but I think there's sometimes where the thinking is like, it's at the detriment of the other, like you were kind of mentioning this kind of crabs in a barrel uh, mentality where, you know, the only one can survive and we have the scarcity issue. And that that's, that's either, that's the gatekeepers, you know, implanting that idea in your head. That's a colonial, colonialist mindset that they're implanting, right? So I think that's kind of like things that we have to kind of unpack and, and do a, uh, a lot of work with among ourselves. So it is a thing. Um, um, and at the end of the day, it's like, just kind of like what we have to do is basically you have to almost find a tribe within your tribe. You know, it's like not all people who look like, like, like you are aligned with you. Right. So that's like a whole kind of complicated thing. And, and we don't talk about this in front of white folk because we can't look like we're divided, you know, even like just talking this about how loud, you know, you know, creates a lot of emotions right now. It's just kind of the way we kind of communicate and talk about these issues. But, you know, I think if you put it into light and we talk about it openly and honestly, I think it's for the better. But even then, like I was saying, you know, we we reserve ourselves when around politer company, you know, and we don't want to look like we're we're having trouble. Like everything's fine. Everything's fine. Like, but, you know, uh, like I said, it's not fine, but we do have to kind of work through a lot of things and, and for the better. And we just have to, to be better. Yeah. Just like any other community with the diversity of voices. Right. Yeah. Are there certain things that you want to highlight that you've walked away with from this? This movie is really special. And I say this not just because I made it or it was the first in my first you know, film to direct and we're trying to promote it and all that stuff. But if there was something just really special about it, just from the way um, that we had to kind of come through and make this uh, despite all opposition and all obstacles in our way in which we had to try to make this film, uh, especially around raising the money and, and defending our cast that was, uh, you know, a lead POC cast that, uh, you know, people wanted changes and all those things. And we had to kind of have artistic integrity around. Um, and it was, I was have to say, just the filmmaking was difficult, arduous, but it was charmed in the sense that we eventually found the squad and the team to make it together. And we made it in a way that uh, was honest to ourselves. So um, I just remember many days during the shoot, just during lunchtime and just watching the crew and the cast sit down and break bread with each other. And it wasn't just work. And we were genuinely engaged and genuinely interested in each other and genuinely having conversations like our cast um, would just have these, you know, crazy conversations about basketball, Lakers and Celtics and uh, hip hop, Biggie and Tupac. And it was just like these barbershop lunchtime conversations between cast and crew. And it was just so uh, fun. And it was just this, uh, it was a feeling of Ohana and kind of the Hawaiian terms, just like a feeling of family um, that we knew that we were doing something special. It wasn't just another movie or another gig for us, uh, but that we were doing something that hopefully was going to mean something and, 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 and have some legs. Um, so uh, I hope, you know, with that spirit, people will be able to see the film and, and kind of see that, uh, that uh, energy and the positivity and, and, and fun that we have. And hopefully they'll, the audience will have fun watching it as well. Tell me how many people were on the team that worked this film? I mean, yeah, it's huge, Tim. Obviously, there's so many different facets and departments of a film. So you have kind of your production team and then your post-production team with music and editing and all that stuff. So I, I think I'll told like probably maybe in a hundred uh, low, like somewhere in that with a, a, if we're counting kind of everyone and um, even just the people that kind of help support the film, I would add them to that count. You know, our Kickstarter backers and our investors and all the people that kind of like donated food, you know, in Chinatown 
international district, you know, we had Tai Chung and uh, Hood Famous come out and give us food and, and donate food to us on, on set during the, during our shoots and whatnot. So, I mean, it was just, it takes that village to kind of build it up. So, you know, how, how big is our team, you know, as big as the world, I say. <laughs> Boutran's film, The Paper Tigers, screens tomorrow night. The drive-in showing is sold out, but a limited number of tickets may be available to watch the film online tomorrow night for a limited number of hours. For more information, you can visit seattleaaff.org. To listen to more KBCS stories, you can go to kbcs.fm or you can subscribe to our podcast at SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes.